0: Alright you guys, welcome to the show. I'm Scott Horton, it's my show, The Scott Horton Show. Oh, my neck kind of hurts, man. Not like you really care. Uh, Yeah, it's my show. I got a pain in the neck. Mostly it's uh, foreign policy stuff, man. Uh, Today on the show, Dan Cohen's going to be on to talk about what's going on in Israeli politics. And in the occupied territories and things. Uh, John B. Carroll is going to be on to talk about uh the police state where he's from. Where's that at? Alabama or Arkansas or something? I don't know. I just... I really got a kick out of reading the transcript of the cop and the rat discussing... Okay, so here's what I need you to do. I need you to get some meth and I need you to plant it in this guy's house for me, okay? The guy that they then entrapped on the meth charges... And then on murder charges. Well, I'm ruining the damn interview. Anyway, it's just a little local news story about cops outright to the 110th degree framing someone on drug and murder charges. Well, they 100% framed him on the drug charges and they knowingly falsely prosecuted him on the murder ones. And, uh, anyway... You know, just because I figure you probably love the cops because, you know, these are the people in your neighborhood was the song on Sesame Street, and how are you ever supposed to get over that? These are, Or was that Mr. Rogers? No, that's Sesame Street. These are the people in your neighborhood. You know, the cop. He's like a fireman. He loves you. He's here to help you, and if something catches on fire, fireman puts it out. And if something bad happens, the police are here to make it okay again for you. And... You know, I know not you, but everybody except you is dumb enough to actually believe that, so I'm trying to, you know, provide evidence for the contrary, you know, if I can, which is easy, because they kill people every day. They lie and frame people every day. Uh, Because they're not that. They're not. All right, and then also Nasser Arabi. I mean, if it's spelled like Bye but it has one extra E, does that make it the Y-E-E? Is is that an E sound or a Y sound? I'm not going to be able to ask him because it won't be on the phone. It'll be on the Skype, so I won't be able to talk to him off the air, really. Oh, well, I guess I'll just ask him. Nasser Arabi, Arabi um, has written a thing for the Carnegie Endowment called Saudi Arabia's Unholy War. And, of course, it's America's war as well. Uh, But it's the war in Yemen. And I apologize to you guys for not doing a good enough job of keeping up on the Yemen war. I mean, I'm trying. There's not too many people writing about it, really. Nobody really cares. So, and I ain't traveling. You know, let Matthew Akins go and sneak across the Red Sea in a floaty boat and risk his life to cover this thing. Not me, man. I'll stay right here, safe and sound in Texas, and then talk with him when he gets the hell home. Or I'll call this guy on Skype. I mean, I want to know, but I don't want to know that bad. Yeah. Okay, so uh Dan Cohen, John B. Carroll, Nasser Arabi, Arabi, they are the guests on today's show. And I should blog that. Um, also, while I do, um, I should recommend to you the chat room. Hey, man, join up the chat room. Um, there's some good guys that hang out in there. I admit they don't always talk too much, but, you know, um, maybe if you go and join them and engage them in discussion, then they'll answer you. They all like to sit there and say nothing. Nah, JDA and Fitzy G and Balda and some of the guys get uh, involved in the conversations. We've got a good regular crew in there. I'm just poking a little fun. Embers of Liberty, too. Um, all you guys, man. Uh Happy to see you in there. And happy to see new people in there, too, man. Just go to scotthorton.org slash chat. Fake name and a captcha, and you're in there. And then, um, also, it's an IRC free node chat. Hashtag Scott Horton Show. Hashtag. Scott Horton Show. And uh, that's how you can join up the chat room there. Um, you know... Oh, man, I'm going to sneeze. Hang on a second. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> um, You know, the other thing is... Um, what was I going to say about that? Oh, yeah. And you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, at Scott Horton Show. The chat room is hashtag Scott Horton Show. The Twitter account is... At Scott Horton Show. And uh, and uh then, yeah, you can talk to me there, too. If yawned. For some insane, stupid reason, I love arguing on there, and I really need to knock it off. If I added it up, I'd probably waste as much of my life arguing on Twitter as I do sleeping. And to what end? To no end. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe a few people get a little bit enlightened. You know, I get to pass along some informative news links and that kind of thing. But, uh yeah, boy, me and Twitter. You know, I broke up with Facebook two years ago. I'm all talking about it like cigarettes. Yeah, man, no, I totally kicked Facebook cold turkey, dude. I'm done. And, you know, no offense to my old Facebook friends. I miss you guys. You know, there were people on there who, you know, is a community of people who hang out on my page and talk about stuff. You know how those things are. And, uh, but yeah, man, nah, just, just sucking too much of my life away. And now I'm letting Twitter get the better of me too. But anyway, I'm on there, man. If you guys want to follow me, at Scott Horton Show. I keep swearing to God I'm going to, uh, go back to blogging on my blog stress all the time. Try to bring everybody, you know, back to me. Maybe tweet out the things I blog. But, yeah, and I never do that. The, the swear to God reboot of the thing uh, of stress has happened over and over and over again. I started a little bit and then no. So, yeah. All right. Um, oh, and then one more thing I want to say as far as bookkeeper type stuff before we start all the uh, trash talking and the interviewing. And that is thank you to the donors to the show um and that is uh, you know the one off special occasion donations that come in and also those of you who uh sign up on a monthly schedule to donate 5 10 20 25 30 50 bucks whatever it is on the monthly donations um I kind of like the way PayPal is doing it now they switched it back it used to be they would only do it two days a month and now I think they switched it back to kind of spreading it out, whatever, the anniversary, the monthly anniversary of whatever day you sign up, I guess. So it's always two or three or four of them come in, you know, every couple of days, that kind of thing. So it's kind of nice. Definitely helps out around here, keeping the lights on and the phone bill paid and all that kind of stuff. So um at scotthorton.org slash donate and check out all the great kickbacks. There's there's one guy I owe you a silver coin. I know it. Don't worry. I have uh, Arlo's name written on my hand, which means I'm going to his house today to get a silver coin to send you. Um, the great Arlo Pinati, inventor of the QR code commodity disc. So, uh, and you can get audiobooks and other kinds of books and all kinds of great kickbacks and things like this and that. If you want to go and check it all out at scotthorton.org/donate. But mostly, I just want to say thank you, and also. I need advertisers, some advertisers. They come and go, and money's tight, and it is what it is. But if you think that maybe Scott could help me get a little bit of money raised uh, or you know, made by uh, promoting your group or your good or your service, just shoot me an email, scott at scotthorton.org. I got very reasonable prices. I'm sure we can work something out. In fact, um, I should mention that it's today is the Ciceronian Society's a uh, big conference begins, but it's going on for the next four days. So any of you people up there on the East Coast, it's in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, which considering that y'all states are the size of Texas counties, I think means that you guys can get there pretty easily. And uh, go and check that out, man. I think it looks like it's going to be a real cool thing at ciceronian.org. We'll be right back. Hey, I'll Scott here. If you're like me, you need coffee. Lots of it. And you probably prefer it taste good, too. Well, let me tell you about Darren's Coffee Company at DarrensCoffee.com. Darren Marion is a natural entrepreneur who decided to leave his corporate job and strike out on his own, making great coffee. And Darren's Coffee is now delivering right to your door. Darren gets his beans direct from farmers around the world, all specialty, premium grade, with no filler. Hey, the man just wants everyone to have a chance to taste this great coffee. DarrensCoffee.com. Use promo code Scott and you get free shipping. DarrensCoffee.com. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for WallStreetWindow.com. Mike Swanson knows his stuff. He made a killing running his own hedge fund and always gets out of the stock market before the government-generated bubbles pop, which is, by the way, what he's doing right now, selling all his stocks and betting on gold and commodities. Sign up at WallStreetWindow.com and get real-time updates from Mike on all his market moves. It's hard to know how to protect your savings and earn a good return in an economy like this. Mike Swanson can help. Follow along on paper and see for yourself. WallStreetWindow.com. Now, Scott Horton, how many times do I have to tell you, me, myself? Don't believe what you read in the New York Times. Well, look, you know what? I woke up this morning, I saw the headline, I barely ingested any coffee at all, and it was a New York Times write-up of a Jeffrey Goldberg interview of Dear Leader in the Atlantic. And they had a direct quote, but it was only around one word. I should have known better. The New York Times today claims that Obama says his Libya war in 2011 was a, quote, mistake. So I got all, hey, man, look at that. And of course, for him to say that a war that he started was a mistake means that, yeah, he admits he's a guilty war criminal. Mistake. And that's not really what he said, though. I mean or I don't know, if did they publish the whole transcript somewhere? I don't think we have a transcript of the interviews. All we have is Jeffrey Goldberg's write-up of it in The Atlantic. And the way the word mistake is used by Jeffrey Goldberg uh is much more present tense. Libya proved to Obama the Middle East was best avoided. That's his way of characterizing it. But even then, present tense... Quote, there is no way we should commit to governing the Middle East and North Africa. He recently told a former colleague from the Senate. That would be a basic, fundamental mistake. Yeah, we should just knock off all of their leadership. We should explode and implode their states. And then sit back and say, you know what? maybe it'll work out. One senator, I quoted this on the Tom Woods show the other day. I wish I remember which senator said it. Maybe uh, one of you chat room guys could help me find it. Where it was a Republican senator, I think it was, on... uh, I'm going to say Cavuto. But I'm pretty sure it was on Fox. And the Republican senator was asked, well, what's going to happen when we get rid of Assad? Who's going to come after him? And the answer was, well, we hope someone will come to the fore. Come to the fore? What? (laughs) That's funny. All I can picture is myself swinging a hammer at somebody's head for saying that. It's just this... I have a very visual imagination. I just... I want to hit someone in the head with a hammer. Come to the fore? (laughs) Anyway. Obama is basically... You know. He's being... Here's hearsay. This isn't even from his um, quote to Goldberg. This is Goldberg quoting a senator that knows Obama saying this is what Obama told him. In present tense, we shouldn't completely take over the Middle East and North Africa and administer them in every sense from now on. Okay, but, yeah, so back to the start. The New York Times just had it wrong to put it generously, they were lying uh, in effect when they said that he was admitting that the war was a mistake because he didn't. He um, he blames France. He blames Britain. Uh, he blames everybody but himself. He says, we have to do this. We got to get a coalition and a UN mandate because we have to go and protect the people. And of course, he's talking with Jeffrey Goldberg. So it's not like Jeffrey Goldberg is going to push back and say, yeah, but that's a damn lie. I mean, here he even quotes, here's Obama quoting Gaddafi saying, we will kill them like rats. Uh Yeah, who's them? The Al-Qaeda guys he was fighting? Ansar al-Sharia, Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb, the Libyan Islamic Fighting Group, the Libyan veterans of Iraq War II, of Al-Qaeda in Iraq, he never said. Gaddafi never said he was going to hunt down and murder every last man, woman, and child in Benghazi. That's a damn lie, and that's the lie Obama told. He went to Charlotte, North Carolina. He gave a speech. He said, oh, "He said Gaddafi has threatened to murder a hundred thousand innocent men, women, and children." That would be. Oh, you know what? He wasn't in Charlotte. He just invoked Charlotte. He said that would be like the entire population of Charlotte, North Carolina. Can you imagine? We've got to stop him. But it was a damn lie. You know, like the Maine and the Lusitania and the Zimmerman Telegram and Pearl Harbor and southern provocations against the North and Korea, the Gulf of Tonkin, Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction and ties to Osama bin Laden. Uh, Bill, I always skip this because it's such a smaller war. Uh, Bill Clinton's fake genocide, a hundred thousand people that never were killed in Kosovo. It was only thousands and they were killed after the war started. And they were all fighting age males, with very few exceptions. The FBI went looking for the mass graves, so they packed up and went home in two weeks. It was nothing to find. The whole thing was a lie. And anyway. They always lie, and yeah, they lied about this one too, but it's not like Goldberg's going to call him uh, out on that. And yet, how many people have died in the chaos of what you, I don't know if you can even call it a civil war by any textbook definition, but the Mad Max war of all against all that's now going down in Libya, of all the different fighting militias, including the Islamic State, Obama, the president's quoting here, calling it a shit show, and while he makes it everyone else's fault but his. As though, as though, uh, France and Britain were gonna launch this war without the USA. As though it wasn't up to Obama to tell Hillary, step aside and let the military negotiate an end to this war as they were trying to do. Can you imagine that? The Secretary of State is going, no. Blood, blood, blood. And the military and the CIA are trying to negotiate. They are negotiating. They have a deal with Gaddafi's son. To kick him all the way upstairs to the attic. To take, to strip him of all of his power. And to then set about, you know, yes, your highness, reforms on oil rights. Oh, and everything else. Uh, Safe, Gaddafi, the son, was absolutely willing to play ball. Not good enough. Negotiation, not good enough. Must have full-scale war and regime change. A war that took nine, ten months to even finally uh end with Gaddafi being lynched on the side of the road. Raped with a bayonet and shot in the back of the head. And as Margulies said the other day on the show... What he understands is it was French special forces that murdered him. Not even those uh, the militia kooks on the side of the road. It was the French special forces that put a bullet in his head. And anyway... um, Oh yeah, no, we had to stop a pretend slaughter that was not about to happen at all. You know what though? Free passes for everyone on Libya, huh? Free passes for CNN... MSNBC and Fox News, free passes for every right-wing radio host in the country who quoted Susan Rice, saying even Susan Rice says that he's giving Viagra to his soldiers to rape all the women so you know it's true. Huh? Free passes for Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Bernie Sanders, who voted and supported it, voted for it and supported it. Free passes all around. Hey, i Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new ebook by longtime future freedom author Scott McPherson. Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. This is the definitive principled case in favor of gun rights and against gun control. America is exceptional. Here the people come first, and we refuse to allow the state a monopoly on firearms. Our liberty depends on it. Get Scott McPherson's Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms on Kindle at Amazon.com today. Hey, I'll check out the audiobook of Lou Rockwell's Fascism Versus Capitalism, narrated by me, Scott Horton, at audible.com. It's a great collection of his essays and speeches on the important tradition of liberty, from medieval history to the Ron Paul Revolution. Rockwell blasts our status enemies, profiles our greatest libertarian heroes, and prescribes the path forward in the battle against Leviathan. Fascism Versus Capitalism by Lou Rockwell for audiobook. Find it at Audible, Amazon, iTunes, or just click in the right margin of my website at scotthorton.org. All right, you guys, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. And uh, happy to welcome Dan Cohen to the show. He is a regular writer for um, uh, Mondoweiss.net, uh, our friend Phil Weiss, and uh, is an independent journalist based in Palestine. You can follow him on Twitter at DanCohen3000. Welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: hey Scott thanks for having me I'm good I'm good I'm uh, in the I'm in the old city of Jerusalem right now uh, and just uh, just saw an animal sacrifice so interesting stuff
0: yeah the the very old city I guess all right exactly um all right so uh, you know what one thing I left out of your uh, bio introduction there is that you're making a movie with Max Blumenthal I think about the Gaza War of 2014 is that right can you tell us about it
1: Yeah, indeed. Uh, My co-producer, Max Blumenthal, and I are in uh, the kind of later stages of making um, a film about the 2014 assault on Gaza, um, which killed more than 2,200 people, including 550 children. Um, And we've titled it Killing Gaza. Um, for obvious reasons, and basically I spent five months in the Gaza Strip, including the last three weeks of uh, the war, um, uh, filming on the ground and kind of just showing what it's like uh, for the survivors in Gaza, not only in the, during the war, but after the journalists left, um, after the cameras went away um, for people who are kind of eking out their life in, in neighborhoods that have been completely wiped out. Um, so we have, uh, an Indiegogo campaign going right now that, uh, we have about 10 days left. We're trying to reach our goal so we can get, um, everyone involved in the project paid properly and finish it and, uh, hopefully have it out, uh, later this spring.
0: Great. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that too. I was, uh, going to ask you, I thought I had seen that you guys have a fundraiser going on. So that's Killing Gaza at Indiegogo. And, and Dan, we're having a problem with your microphone there. Uh, it sounds like wind. But possibly yeah, it's a shirt rustling, something like how's, that. Uh, how's that? Yes, how's that? that's what I'm to Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, good deal. And, uh, yeah, that's Killing Gaza, and, uh, you say you expect it this spring and raising money at Indiegogo. So I'm glad we got a chance to talk about that from in there. Okay, yeah, so, you
1: can, uh, you can ahead. email us at killing, killinggaza at gmail.com or go to killinggaza.com or, uh, just, you know, hit me on Twitter and I can get back to you. But, uh, yeah.
0: Great. All right, good deal. I hope you guys will participate in helping them get this thing done, and you know this audience is uh pretty primed for for that kind of work for sure uh, I know I want to see it um, right on. all right now listen uh you got this very important piece here. Uh, new discriminatory legislation being considered by the Knesset narrows the meaning of democracy in Israel, and there's a little bit more of that wind there, so if you know how to fix that, uh, uh, okay,
1: let me see what I can do here sure and then yeah,
0: yeah. and then please explain uh, what is this new legislation and and how likely is it to be passed?
1: Well um some of it already has passed. So this is a, a report that um Adala put out on March 1st. Adallah is uh um, an NGO in Israel that uh kind of monitors um, rights abuses uh of the, for the Arab minority. Um, and so there's there's nothing in the report that sets a huge precedent. It's basically the continuing uh uh you know falling away of the facades of democracy in Israel, um, not only in in Israel, um, but in the occupied West Bank and and occupied East Jerusalem as well. Um, And so these range from... um, They have changed the... Basically broadened the definition of stone-throwing, for instance. So, um, you know, a basic form of resistance, throwing stones at anyone invading your village, um, now has been changed to... Uh, you can be uh, arrested and imprisoned without even uh, they don't have to prove that you were uh, intending to cause harm so um, hypothetically if you were skipping a, lo- uh, a stone on a lake then that is a punishable offense um, and for adults you can and actually even children you can be put in jail for up to 20 years um, and for adults there are mandatory minimums of two years for throwing a stone Um there are uh, there's a bill being discussed right now that would uh ban um anyone supporting the boycott divestment sanctions movement um, so this is very anti-democratic uh you know it's simple simple expression um, and so, and that includes, uh, Jews who, who support BDS. So if you're a Jew who is, you know, against occupation, you support the BDS movement, you can actually be banned from entering Israeli controlled borders. Um, I mean, the, the list goes on, but basically it's just continuing this, this, uh, this, I mean, I would even, you know, go stronger than narrowing of democracy. It's just the continuing, you know, shedding the facade, really. And we're seeing just this, like, brutal apartheid state, apartheid regime uh, coming out, and, and, you know, as it shifts rightward. Mm-hmm. And now,
0: can you explain a little bit more, and I'm sorry, I was actually uh, changing which uh, ear had a headphone on it, I think right uh-huh. at the moment that you were saying um, about uh, whether it had passed or not, the one about kicking the, uh, or did you mention, I'm sorry, the the one about kicking that where the Knesset gets to vote to kick out any minor party that they don't want to be there anymore. Uh, right. You know, I read a Jonathan cook piece about this, that he made it sound like very soon they could kick all the last Arabs out of the Knesset entirely.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I did not mention that, but this is another one of them that, um, you know, just kind of shows what Israeli democracy really means. Um, so there's no. I mean, it's already victory.
0: the society's already engineered to be eighty twenty. We're talking within sixty seven borders. The people with the right to right. vote. Uh, it's already right. designed to be eighty twenty super duper majority. So it's there's basically no point in even having a party anyway. But still, right?
1: Right. I mean, and you'll hear like you know pro-Israel propagandists uh, brag that they're Arabs in the Knesset. They even have the right to vote. But uh, you know, and they they're represented. But um, this came about actually after um a uh, a couple of member Arab members of Knesset um visited uh an accused attacker, a Palestinian attacker. Um and so they said, oh, they're giving you know, the Knesset members and public erupted saying um they're giving support to terrorists. Uh, meanwhile you have Ayelet Shaked, the justice minister, that you know, that was one of the highest highest officials in the land who who visited the family of one of uh the killers, the alleged killers um, in the Duma firebombing last year when, when uh, a few settlers went uh, into a Palestinian village in the middle of the night and threw firebombs on a sleeping family and burned an 18-month-old baby and the parents to death. Um, so it's okay for the justice minister to go and visit the family uh, of, this, of this person, but um, it's not okay for a Palestinian you know, member of Knesset to do the you know inverse, if we could even call it that, um, and so it's purely, yeah, purely. Yeah, an and you can't grounds.
0: call it that because it's. Yeah, maybe it's the inverse or some kind of word. It in the opposite because again, yeah, the the uh, equivalence between the victim and the perpetrator here is right. not equivalent. And I mean, imagine right. that everybody. If um, the Attorney General of the United States had gone to visit the family of Dylan Roof, who did the Charleston massacre in the basement of the black church. And went to the Attorney General of the United States. I mean, that's what we're talking about here, the Justice Minister of Israel. Going to visit the families of the perpetrators of a massacre of innocent civilians by fire in their own home in the middle of the night.
1: Right, exactly. Unbelievable. I
0: mean, can you imagine if this was going on in Iran or in Russia or in some state that Hillary Clinton had singled out to be destroyed or contained?
1: Yeah, it would be uh, it would be outrage. It would be cause. It would be cause for war. Absolutely.
0: It's really I mean, it's it's almost, you know, I don't know. It's unbelievable. And yet uh, shocking, but not surprising. That's the refrain around here. Shocking, but not surprising.
1: And, I mean, and it's, you know, as if Ayelet Shaked was even ever like a, a moderate figure to begin with um, right. before she was appointed or maybe it was after she was appointed justice, justice minister. No, 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 I'm sorry. It was before. It was in 2014 during the war on Gaza. Mm-hmm. She posted uh, a, pay, uh, a link on her Facebook or, or a quote on her Facebook calling to genocide Palestinians, including the mothers, because they give birth to little snakes.
0: Hold it right there. So, we'll be right back with Dan Cohen right after this, guys.
1: You hate government?
0: One of them libertarian types? Or maybe you just can't stand the president, gun grabbers, or warmongers. Me too. That's why I invented LibertyStickers.com. Well, Rick owns it now, and I didn't make up all of them, but still. If you're driving around and want to tell everyone else how wrong their politics are, there's only one place to go. LibertyStickers.com has got your bumper covered. Left, right, libertarian, empire, police, state, founders, quote, central banking. Yes, bumper stickers about central banking. Lots of them. And, well, everything that matters. LibertyStickers.com. Everyone else's stickers suck. Hey, Al, Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new book by Michael Swanson, The War State. In The War State, Swanson examines how Presidents Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy both expanded and fought to limit the rise of the new national security state after World War II. If this nation is ever to live up to its creed of liberty and prosperity for everyone, we are going to have to abolish the empire. Know your enemy. Get The War State by Michael Swanson. It's available at your local bookstore or at Amazon.com in Kindle or in paperback. Just click the book in the right margin at ScottHorton.org or TheWarState.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. This is my show, The Scott Horton Show. I'm on the line with Dan Cohen. He's a regular writer at Mondoweiss.net. Independent journalist. He's uh, working on a new movie with Max Blumenthal right now called Killing Gaza about uh, the slaughter. You can't really call it a war. A war is when two armies are fighting. I learned that from Bill Hicks. Um... The the one sided uh, slaughter in Gaza in 2014, and uh, also he's written some important stuff here. And we're talking about uh, all this new legislation coming through the Knesset here to just further—that's their Congress over there, their Parliament over there in uh, Israel—to uh, further marginalize, dehumanize, and deprive rights uh, and representation uh, from the Palestinians, their subjects, and uh, and and this is. I think oh, it's mostly pertaining to to uh, Palestinian citizens of Israel uh, rather than just the people in the occupied territories. I mean, we're talking about even uh, stripping represent the last of their representation in the Knesset uh, out. But uh, I wanted to go back to um, Dan the the thing that you mentioned about the changing of the law regarding the throwing of stones uh, mm-hmm. and, and what exactly that means in what context when who does what, what did it used to be, what is it now, uh, as best you can for us, please.
1: Right. Yeah, so, I mean, stone-throwing is, of course, uh, the most basic form of resistance. Right, because Um, there's
0: gun control in Palestine. It works real well for the Israelis.
1: (laughs) Right, 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 exactly. It works in their favor, absolutely. Um, So, yeah, it's the most basic basic form of resistance, and, you know, any time that... the Israeli military or uh, like border police which is actually a paramilitary unit um will invade uh a Palestinian village or neighborhood you can expect that there will be stone throwing and if you ask you know young Palestinian guys or even boys really who are out there throwing stones why they're doing it it's not that they think that it's actually going to repel the soldiers but to show you know is like a kind of to to assert their dignity and that uh that, that soldiers are not welcome um and so um you, you know you actually you also see stone throwing from uh the the ultra orthodox um uh, communities in Israel against police when um when uh, uh when they have demonstrations but they are not met with any force um that's that's you know that's so it, it kind of shows the the apartheid situation we're in here yeah exactly um,
0: the stone throwers who always go ignored those who throw stones at little palestinian children trying to get right. to school in the morning
1: Right. Or, yeah, I mean, that's what we see with settlers all the time. It's, it's really frequently you see settlers throwing stones, and, you know, that's about the nicest thing they'll do to, to Palestinians. Um, but of course, and, and then you'll see, uh, soldiers standing by, or even sometimes joining in. So, um, it's, it's all, you know, it's basically a pretext, like you said, to, to, you know, mete out collective punishment and erode rights. Um, but, uh, the new, the new, uh, law basically, um, it broadens the definition of stone throwing. So now they can, you can be arrested for stone throwing. Um, even if they don't have to pro- well, you can be arrested for stone throwing and they don't have to prove that there is intent to cause harm. So if you're like a, uh, skipping rocks on a lake, that is a punishable offense where you can be put into prison for up to 20 years. Um, there are mandatory minimums of two years. Um, and this is for, the mandatory minimums don't exist for minors. Um, but, you, but you can put a, you know, they could put an, an eight year old child in prison for 20 years for throwing a rock, uh, a Palestinian child. And now, so,
0: um, let me, let me make sure I understand you here. I, I think what you're implying at least is that there used to be a defense that we're talking about an eight year old boy throwing a tiny little rock that couldn't possibly, be more than symbolic if you hit the IDF soldier right in the face it's not even going to break his nose so therefore, Your Honor this is, you know there was no intent to cause harm here but you're saying now that defense will be stripped away?
1: (sighs) I mean I can't say that like you know throwing a rock can never cause harm. I mean you could bash a windshield and it's not like it's just a tiny pebble. I mean But sure, I'm just I've, talking I've, about I've the
0: argument that would have been used before that this right. or I mean is that right? I mean it sounds like you're sort of implying that that was a defense that used to be usable and now is will no longer be.
1: I mean I don't even know if it was ever used <laughs> in practice if it was ever usable but I see. I, you know it just creates more and more pretext.
0: I see. They're just making sure that nobody's ever going to get away with this. And you're saying that, right. and you're saying that the sentences could apply even to the children.
1: They do apply to the children. The only the only difference is that there's no mandatory minimums for children.
0: Right. But the maximum yeah. is still allowed for them. Twenty. If the years. Judge wants yep. to. Yep. Twenty
1: years in prison. Yep.
0: Unbelievable.
1: Okay. Yeah. All
0: right. Now, yeah. um, uh, you have this uh, this other entry here. Uh, Dan at net mm-hmm. Meet mm-hmm. Ahmad Dawabshi, mm-hmm. the five-year-old survivor of the Duma firebombing that you had previously mentioned. There, uh, can right. you tell us first of all, explain again what was that happened there, and then and then tell us about meeting this child.
1: Sure. So um, last summer, uh, July thirty-first, um, a couple. Well, we don't know exactly how many, um, but uh, at least two um settlers israeli settlers in the occupied west bank um went to a, a small village called Duma in the middle of the night and they had planned an operation uh, an attack and they went and carried it out and they uh, uh and they went and found a house where there were um where the family was sleeping and they threw a molotov cocktail in the house eight um an 18 month old baby named Ali burned to death immediately the mother and father um Reham and Saad burned to death, uh, weeks later. They died of their injuries. Um, and the only survivor was a four-year-old boy named Ahmad. Um, and so Ahmad, uh, had, he has second-degree burns and he's continuing to recover in a hospital in Israel. Um, Israel initially said they, uh, that this is terrorism and, uh, under Israeli law, um, victims of so-called terror are eligible for compensation and the Israeli government will pay for it. But because Ahmed is Palestinian and the attack was carried out by Jews, um, he is not eligible. And so the Israeli government refused uh, to compensate the family for this. And so the Palestinian Authority ended up paying for his treatment. Um, And so Ahmed has been in a hospital in Israel for, I mean, we're going on eight months now. Um, His grandfather takes care of him, which, you know, is... is, uh, I guess he's really fortunate to have that if, you know, if we can say this, this little boy, this poor little boy is fortunate at all. Um, and so I was able to spend a day, um, a, a, well, a few hours with Ahmad and his grandfather and, and I, uh, released a video, um, the day before yesterday. Um, about, about the family, just showing, showing the relationship between Ahmad and his grandfather. And as a, and as a little boy, he's, he is fearful that everyone he loves is gonna be burned to death. Um, he didn't want his go, his grandfather to go to the trial, which is just starting, because he thought, uh, you know, the people at the trial would burn his grandfather to death. And so he doesn't really understand, uh, he doesn't understand that his parents and his baby brother are gone and are never coming back. He thinks they're in heaven, but that's just like a place he can go visit. Um, so, you know, this is just this brutal, brutal reality that's, you know, conveniently kind of hidden from uh, a lot of media that we consume.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting too here where, you know, at the end, you you talk about the the settlers chanting, uh, doom and number two in a mocking way. Mm-hmm. Uh mm-hmm. You know, threatening to murder more kids with fire, basically.
1: Right, right. I mean, uh, you know, you have really ideologically extreme people out there, um, and... You know, the vast majority can take their violent impulses that they've been indoctrinated into and put those into the military, where instead of going and throwing a firebomb in like a vigilante way into a house, you can get you can be an Air Force pilot and get in a in an airplane and, a, you know, a warplane and drop a bomb on Gaza, um, uh, you know, on a sleeping family on Gaza, which I witnessed in October, um, you know, so where this house was completely wiped out. And it was a similar result, an entire family dead. Actually, I should say the mother and the little girl were dead. The father and the brother survived um and that didn't cause any outrage. Uh, nobody had a problem with that because it was in the confines of the state um but uh yeah i mean it's it's absolutely horrifying stuff. It's just it, you know the fact that there was so much um commotion and kind of outrage over this specific killing after the summer before Israel had killed five hundred fifty children. Um, kind of, you know, says everything about state versus vigilante to me.
0: Yeah. Hey, let me ask you: uh, You spend so much time over there, or I don't know how much time you spend in Israel, as compared to among the Palestinians. But mm-hmm. do you hear just much open kind of racism? Oh, they're all whatever camel jockeys or sand n words or whatever. This kind of calling them gooks of one kind or another in order to right. dehumanize them, or or how does that work? That that Uh, I'm I'm always interested in the rationalizations of these kinds of things, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I I can say with confidence that uh, and sadly, Israeli society is the most racist society I've ever seen. Um, I mean, it's not uncommon in conversation to hear calls for genocide, um, you know, extremely violent uh, calls. Um, in contrast, you know, I don't really see that with Palestinians. You know, they'll say, uh, you often hear the Jews, the Jews, this, the Jews, that, but that's simply obliging what, you know, Zionists want to be called by, you know, if, if Zionists say we are the Jewish state, um, then Palestinians calling them, the Jews are just obliging them. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's serious indoctrination going on. That's, that's not really a secret in Israeli society. It's just not covered in the U S. Um, there's, a an Israeli author named Narit uh, uh, oh, I have to think of her name, Nareet Elhad, uh, Pelhanan, I think, um, who wrote, uh, uh, Pelet Elhanan, that's it, um, who wrote a, who wrote a book deconstructing, um, Israeli, uh, education system and showing, you know, where the racism comes from. I interviewed, uh, the Haaretz education correspondent and he talked about the violence in the streets, beating up protesters in the streets. Um, this all goes down to the education system starting from the earliest age. Um, another important, you know, thing to discuss is the way the Holocaust is taught in Israeli society, um, where you, you know, I mean, basically a lot of Israeli Jews are taught that they're surrounded by Nazis, or, you know, these are the, the Palestinians are the modern incarnation of Nazis who want to genocide them. And the only thing that, that you can do to prevent that is to join the Israeli army and be a good soldier.
0: Yeah, I was that was exactly what my next question was going to be, was, you know, right along those lines of that. There's the great documentary I'm sure you've seen called Defamation, which yes. is an Israeli Jew who went out in search of anti-Semitism and couldn't find very much anyway. And, but the way he portrays at the beginning, the way he portrays Israeli society, it's like America in 2002, right? Or America right, during right. the Red Scare, you're right? During right. McCarthy, right? 2002 on steroids, kind of level of, of paranoia and irrational fear of the other. And I, that was what I was going to ask you was, you know, would you make that comparison? It really is that, like, unhinged fear from this country, which actually faces no threats from any of its neighbors at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh I think that's pretty fair uh, depiction. Um I mean, I can't, you know, I I wouldn't say that it faces no threats, but the threats that it does face for sure are, are absolutely overstated and overblown um to the Israeli public even um in order to keep them uh in a state of fear um but certainly you know Hezbollah in in southern Lebanon poses a, a significant you know threat to To Israel and um, but Israel doesn't do anything to find uh, some kind of resolution to that it's you know it's always looking for another war the Israeli government always is looking for another war another well, and enemy. that's a
0: good point that Hezbollah is still independent and under control up there but Assad never threatened uh, right, Israel, yeah, Jordan right, doesn't sure. threaten Israel, Egypt doesn't threaten Israel the right. Mediterranean Sea don't threaten Israel and we're out right, right, of right, right. neighbors now so
1: yeah yeah you know. by and large I mean you know Egypt the Sisi regime is absolutely you know pro-Israel and, and is and is so and is so zealous in its support uh, for you know uh, smothering Gaza that uh, you know it even surprises Israeli leaders sometimes um, Jordan is a is basically a human warehouse where it's mostly Palestinians it's a human warehouse for uh, Israel um, and then yes yeah, so Assad is, is true it never really posed any threat mm-hmm. Um
0: Anyway, but yeah, the point being the level of paranoia in contrast to the level of dangers is the real thing. right,
1: right. I mean, it's a, it's basically a hypersensitive and hyper violent society is how I would characterize it. Um, so, you know, I mean, if even if we look at like what are the, the what's the threat from Gaza? How many people have actually how many Israelis have actually died from rockets from Gaza? It's 44 since 2000, 2001, you know, many of which are soldiers um right I and mean, again just
0: like he said about hezbollah that's just assuming that there's nothing that can be done about it uh right, in terms right, of peaceful exactly. negotiation or change or, or whatever like that so right yeah. and all right so now listen rockets, i'm sorry man i kept yeah, you way yeah, over no, time sorry, and i really right. got to go dan but i really appreciate you coming on today it's it's been hey, great absolutely. and i really enjoy reading you too oh, oh right, i'm sorry and, and tell it. tell them tell them real quick again about the movie and how they can help support
1: Yeah, check out uh, KillingGaza.com. Message me on Twitter at DanCohen3000. We have uh, uh, our Kickstarter going, or I'm sorry, Indiegogo going on right now. So if you can help out, we really appreciate it. But uh, yeah, otherwise, just look for um, the movie Killing Gaza um, later this spring. And uh, yeah, we'll make it happen.
0: All right, good deal. Thanks very much for your time. Appreciate it.
1: All right, thanks a lot, Scott.
0: All right, y'all. We'll be right back after this. Hey, all Scott Horton here for Liberty.me, the great libertarian social network. They've got all the social media bells and whistles. Plus, you get your own publishing site, and there are classes, shows, books, and resources of all kinds. And I host two shows on Liberty.me. I on the Empire with Liberty.me's Chief Liberty Officer Jeffrey Tucker every other Tuesday, and the Future of Freedom with FFF Founder and President Jacob Hornberger every Thursday night, both at 8 Eastern. When you sign up, add me as a friend on there. ScottHorton.Liberty.me. Be free. Liberty.me. Hey, I'm Scott Horton here for MPV Engineering. This isn't for all of you, but for high-end contractors specializing in industrial construction and end-users who own and operate industrial equipment, MPV offers licensed professional consulting on chemical and mechanical engineering for your projects. Tanks, pressure vessels, piping, heat exchangers, HVAC equipment, chemical reactors for oil companies or manufacturing facilities, as well as project management support and troubleshooting for those implementing designs. MPV will get your industrial project up and running. Head over to mpvengineering.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. And, uh, yeah, I kept Dan uh, way into that top of the hour break there, so you guys might want to check the archives later on for the tail end of that interview. I like that guy, man. Uh, Yeah. All right, next up, it's uh, John Carroll uh, back on the show from the Henry County Report. And... uh Man, I got too many tabs open here. Uh, leak doc proves drug planning. Yeah, this is the one, I think, right? Uh, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, John? Good, Scott. How are you? I'm doing real good. So, uh, we were on before about how you got your hands on all these documents, uh, where it was, um, I will admit, uh, decent people within the law enforcement community leaking a bunch of documents about a bunch of criminals in the so called law enforcement community uh there where you live in henry county and uh and which is alabama right i'm sorry
2: yeah i actually yeah. live in seattle but oh I'm really from, uh, yeah i'm from that part of the uh south and i do a lot of research work down there oh i see
0: and uh yeah so um uh you were on before about how you got your hands on all these documents and this is just part of that stash is that correct
2: that is correct. Okay. A, we're slowly, you know, we've resisted the national media that demanded we hand over the documents, part of our agreement with our sources, and it's very kind of a painstaking process to vet and authenticate the documents. But we're working through 800-plus documents.
0: All right. And um, bottom line here is these guys are a bunch of criminals, and if I want to make sure that I get the source of this right. I, I don't guess it's much of a mystery. This transcript I'm reading of this cop conspiring with his informant to frame a guy on meth charges is their own transcript of their own recording
2: of an interview going on down at the station, correct? That's right. That's right. This this uh, deputy, he was actually the head vice investigator for the Henry County Sheriff's Department at the time. He instructed the young lady to actually go and have methamphetamine cooked up. And then put that in this gentleman's residence along with precursor materials so that it would appear that he was cooking meth. And then he used that information to, to get a search warrant for that house.
0: That's funny. You know, I was picturing, uh, that scene from Brazil where the, the secretary is listening to the guy being tortured and she's doing the transcript of it or whatever. Like, this is no big deal. It's all in a day's work being the secretary and, and somebody's just typing this up. Yeah. And then what I want you to do is go and put the meth in the guy's house so that I can arrest him. And what? And then, and then this guy ended up. And here's the thing that really gets me. Correct me if I uh, misunderstood what I was reading here. The rat who is being hired to frame the guy on meth charges is explaining to the cop that the guy I'm framing here has nothing to do with the murder. In fact, I'm his alibi. He was far away from the time of the murder at the time it happened. But yeah, sure, I'll go frame him up on meth charges for you. And then the cops went ahead and framed him up on the murder charge as well.
2: Oh, it's even worse than that. If you read it very carefully, <laughs> the cop admits that he already knows that this ah. guy didn't the victim. Uh-huh. And, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you how they know it. And this is what's really, really, really bad. This guy had a visit with the uh, Department of uh, Child Resources in Pensacola, Florida, Department of Human Resources. So there's like a state government record of where this guy was 200 and something miles away. Oh, right, place. right, right. So, so, you know, he was with some, he was with this young lady and they were in Pensacola, Florida, which is 200 plus miles away from where the victim was murdered. They had already checked all this out. They knew this guy had had a supervised child visit in Pensacola, Florida. All right. Well, they, they already knew he was innocent. Before she told him that, and he admits it in the interview. Yeah. That's how insane it is.
0: It is. It's completely crazy. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, again, I just love it. It's their transcript. They went ahead and recorded it. They didn't bother to pull a CIA and destroy the tapes, stupid, or anything. They just completely incriminated themselves with this. I guess they know they are the law, so they're above the law. And so who, who cares? Other than John B. Carroll, but, but then that's the next
2: question. Who does care? Anybody? You uh, found a hero no, judge to intervene here yet? I don't know if we have any honest judges in Alabama, but I will tell you this. The state chapter of the NAACP has decided to take this case on because there's several other examples. Oh, that's good news. They got resources, like at this. least, you know. And plus, there's a really good lawyer. Uh, she's not really speaking to the media at the moment, but she has. Re- she's from Birmingham. <laughs> Ruth Robinson that's representing this guy pro bono. But what they're, my guess is they're going to ask the court to vacate the conviction. I mean, this guy, if you go back and look at the transcript you just mentioned, the cop, the chief investigator for the Sheriff's Department, he also agrees to give her drugs party favors. And this right. is what's so critical about that transcript. She says, oh, well, I've set other people up in, in with the Dothan police, which goes back to the documents we spoke about back in December. That you know these people deny there's any evidence of this. Well, sorry, here's one of their informants telling about how she was paid in drugs to set up people that weren't guilty.
1: Uh And And the cop says, "Oh, you were.
2: Oh, oh, you did that with them before. Oh, okay, good. So then you can do it for me too." That's right. Yeah, and we tracked that guy down, and of course, you know, he was out of the state at the time that this all happened in his apartment. He'd never done methamphetamine. So the common thread is these guys are just out here planting dope. And they pick poor, traditionally uh, poor rural people or inner-city black people. That's their targets. They pick poor country whites. And, you know, here in South Alabama, the, the landscape is such that most of the urban areas are concentrated where people of African descent live. And they just run wild. I mean, there's hundreds of cases like this.
1: The That's judge is weird.
2: going along with it. The judge, look, this is what's so fascinating about this case. that He, he gets... It's just not believable. He gets picked up and charged for murder with all this dope. Okay, what do they do to this guy? They strap this guy to try to make him shut up. They strap him, handcuff his ankles and wrist in a chair, starting at about 11 p.m. at night. They beat him with metal pipes, nerve damage, brain damage. They leave him to urinate and defecate on himself. For close to twelve to thirteen hours, is what how they do. It's a so wonder this guy survived.
0: That's amazing. And what did it, they have it, it, against it, him that they they were so intent on doing this to him? Just fun.
2: Appealing. He Kept wanting to appeal. He kept. He said he's an innocent man. He wouldn't take their deal. So this is where it gets even more bizarre. They go. In a jail cell, and in the sheriff's department, you have what's called a pass-on logbook. If you work a shift before me, you write down the significant events, sign it, I come in, I do the same thing. These guys, he sued them for beating him. In federal court, they forged a logbook and presented it as evidence that none of this happened. And of course, guess what? The original logbook surfaces and it, it shows that they forged the documents. Now they then promptly settled that case with Mr. Bailey, but he's still incarcerated for a murder he didn't commit because he was 260 miles away. And they knew this and admit that they knew it and had alibis. Well, at some point, I guess the stopped. idea, the idea
0: no. here is John that at some point his lawyer can, Fail and fail and fail all the way through the Alabama court system and then at some point finally be able to appeal it into the federal system and see if she can get a win there? Is that it?
2: I think she's going to – I can't speak for her, but I think she's going to ask the court with the newly discovered evidence that we've leaked that they're going to ask to vacate the conviction because there's obviously the, – now we have documents. You
0: don't sound very confident that that's going to work, though.
2: Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, even in the in the Alabama court? Yeah, absolutely. It'll be in federal court. I think they'll intervene because. The oh, it'll be in federal court. Yeah. The district attorney's own documents now prove they knew this man. You know, they had exculpatory evidence the whole time. And that's in addition to the beating and torturing and in addition to the drug planning that they picked him all up on the start with it, you know, with a false pretense. Jeez. It's just insane.
0: Yeah. yeah, it sure is. And uh hold on, because we ain't done yet. We got more with John B. Carroll. From HenryCountyReport.com. Right after this, you gotta go look at this article, guys. It'll blow your mind. Leak docs prove drug planting and motion to prosecute Gary Maxwell. Oh, we're gonna name names, more and better. Right after this. Hey, Al Scott here. The Ciceronian Society is an interdisciplinary group devoted to the timeless themes of place, tradition, and things divine. You are invited to their sixth annual conference to hear two days of papers on important thinkers from Plato and Saint Benedict to John Locke. Hayek and Henry David Thoreau. The conference is March 10th through 12th in historic Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, less than two hours from D.C. and Baltimore. Register at CiceronianSociety.com. Hey, I'll Scott here. Ever wanted to help support the show and own silver at the same time? Well, a friend of mine, libertarian activist Arlo Pignatti, has invented the alternative currency with the most promise of them all, QR Silver Commodity Discs, the first-ever QR code one-ounce silver pieces. Just scan the back of one with your phone and get the instant spot price. They're perfect for saving or spending at the market. And anyone who donates $100 or more to The Scott Horton Show at scotthorton.org slash donate gets one. That's scotthorton.org slash donate. And if you'd like to learn and order more, send them a message at commoditydiscs.com or check them out on Facebook at slash commoditydiscs. And thanks. All right, kids. Welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. Noon to 2 East Coast time here on the Liberty Radio Network on the weekdays. KPFK in L.A. on Sunday mornings. Talking with John B. Carroll from the Henry County Report about these criminal cops. And, you know, we all know that all cops are a bunch of criminals. And, oh, yeah, everybody can cry your exceptions. But the the state is not your security force, okay? It's something else. Read your Rothbard. But um, what's going on here is that, wow, we got the kind of evidence we don't ever really usually get to see. Like... Police made transcripts of them conspiring with their informants to frame innocent people. Uh, I mean, this kind of thing is just unbelievable. And uh, you mentioned this, uh, John. It sure looks like you've got pretty good, I don't know about solid because I'm not an expert in the Photoshop or anything, but it sure looks like you make a, a pretty compelling argument that there's a forgery going on uh, when it comes to the logbook and the deletion of... Uh, uh, how Mr. Bailey must have hit his head when he uh, hit the wall. They decided that lie didn't hold up, so they would just go ahead and get rid of it entirely, huh?
2: That's right. The, 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 the attorney that represented the county sheriff's department in that incident came back before the federal court and admitted somehow they had made a mistake. Now, how you scan a document and have a digital file, and then you send that document to someone else, and you somehow make a mistake, a stake where you Photoshop out a very critical entry that would increase the liability of the sheriff's department. I, I, I can't explain. But You're telling they me they've already conceded that. Oh yeah, oh, yeah there's conceded, an error there. That Sorry. A, they've conceded they made a mistake uh-huh. and it's not really physically possible how to imagine they could have made that mistake without right. forgery.
0: Yeah, it sure doesn't seem like it. Um and I was going to say, you know, are you sure it's not, you know, over on the next page? But on the next page, it's the next day, I guess. So, no.
2: Right. It I, wouldn't I, have been. I put an article, I put a scan of the whole book. I looked at the whole original book. I mean, it is what it is. They immediately settled that case with Mr. Bailey. But the whole problem is Mr. Bailey is still in jail for a murder that he didn't commit. And they planted dope on him to get a search warrant. They admitted that they knew he was somewhere else. And then they tried to beat him to death to shut up. So now we have all this information coming out that shows not only was, did the district attorney and the sheriff's department know the whole time that this guy was innocent of this crime, they proceeded to prosecute him anyway and lied under oath in his original trial and his in his appeals through the state of Alabama. They knew all these documents existed. And we even have a document from the district attorney's office leaked to us that shows one of the assistant district attorneys advising law enforcement to remove this, the transcript out of the record so no one can know about it. You I have, mean, you, you know, you, you
0: have them on the record ordering them to change. You have the DA on the record, assistant DA on the record ordering the cops to change the record.
2: Yeah. That's how bad this gets. And you have to ask yourself, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the Washington Post wrote an article that originally kind of cast some doubts when we came out with our original story. And I, I can understand that. It's fair criticism. It's just too hard to believe. But what Bal- Radney Balco did do is he talked about how this district attorney is one of the worst in the United States. And this guy right here that we're talking about has put 17 people to death in Alabama. And hundreds of convictions where you have people like Mr. Bailey, life without parole. And you've got to ask yourself, how many innocent people has this guy killed? It's just horrific. Man. And now and we have all the smoking guns. That's the difference in this case. And like the, you know, the case that came out, the making of a Murderer on Netflix is very compelling documentary. A few months ago in this case, we actually have the internal affairs documents all the internal memos in the district attorney's office, and we have audio recordings of these idiots talking about it. I mean, it's just un- unconscionable. You've got judges involved. You have indigent defense lawyers involved. Whole time, you got an innocent guy just, you know, sitting in prison.
0: Explain more about that, about the um, the court appointed defense attorneys going along with this or just falling yeah, down on the job the
2: thing, or what? The, you know, the NAACP is working on. I think if, if you go and I, I don't want to quote him exactly, but he's, they have over a hundred cases like this that they're working with. And what, what happens in this judicial district, if you're a poor person, they will appoint you a lawyer and that lawyer typically refuses to give any of your evidence of your case or access to your discovery material to you, the guy sitting in jail. And so what they're trying to do is bully you into taking a plea deal. And what they do is they'll say, hey, Scott, you know, it doesn't matter what the law is, you're going to get 20 years in prison. So you can take this deal and, you know, serve about three years and we'll get you probation. And if you say, I didn't do this, I want my evidence, I want to see what they have, they'll say, tough, we don't have time for that. And these guys get convicted and go to prison all day long.
0: Right. And that's if you're lucky and they don't torture you
2: for saying, no, I want to see the evidence. Well, you know, I'll just tell you we have on the horizon, we have cattle prod videos coming. So it's going to get a lot worse. Jesus Christ. Well, the courts have probably
0: already allowed that, though, right?
2: No, no. I mean, we've got good people in Alabama, just like you do in Texas and other places. It's just it's just they're so vested in protecting a dysfunctional system. That's the problem we have. Everybody bad has
0: very little to do with it. The job is what the job is.
2: But you know, you've got to question, like in this one case, you have to question hundreds and, well, there are three officers implicated in planning drugs. There are probably another half a dozen officers that were aware of all this and stood silent and did nothing. You have to go back and look at all of their narcotics cases now. The sheriff, we can't even get him to talk about it.
0: Well, now, so you said that the Correct. you said that the NAACP has showed up. Now, are are they financing lawyers to get more involved here, or what exactly are they doing?
2: I can't I can't speak for them, but they're, you know what what I what I understand is that they're trying to form a class action civil rights lawsuit mm-hmm. that encompasses. I mean, we're just at hundreds and hundreds of victims that have come forward. You can look at our site and see some of the interviews we have. I mean, we have people that had a credit card debt, and this same district attorney would prosecute that person that's a civil case. They would prosecute them in a criminal court and sentence them to 20 years in prison. Jesus, it's just really? unconscionable. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a lady that's a ministry. Uh, she had some Obama T-shirts printed up at the inauguration, and they prosecuted her for not paying a $1,400 bill, put her 20 years in prison.
0: So in it's other just words, impossible. these people need extremely powerful help to come just for the sheer number of victims that we're talking about here. I mean, this yep. is we're talking about, I don't know, abolish the state and start over again or don't.
2: Well, this judicial district, I think they need to send in immediate federal people. I, I, you know, how many? I don't know. You need to take out two sheriff's departments. You have to take over the district attorney's office. And you really have to put in people, some of these judges that know the law that allowed all this to happen. In well, and that's its
0: own shame, too, is feds moving in like that's the responsibility of the people of Alabama to solve this from the bottom up. But they won't. So look where we're at. It's absolutely a disaster. I urge everyone, please go and look at henrycountyreport.com dot com and read the transcript of the cop and the rat frame in this guy. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you, Scott. John B. Carroll, y'all. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here. It's always safe to say that one should keep at least some of your savings in precious metals as a hedge against inflation. And if this economy ever does heat back up and the banks start expanding credit, rising prices could make metals a very profitable bet. Since 1977, Robertson & Roberts Brokerage, Inc. has been helping people buy and sell gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. And they do it well. They're fast, reliable, and trusted for more than 35 years. And they take Bitcoin. Call Robertson Robertson at 1-800-874-9760 or stop by rrbi.co. All right, you guys, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. And uh, our next guest has got a very important article at the Carnegie Endowment website. Pretty unusual for this show, but okay. CarnegieEndowment.org. Saudi Arabia's unholy war. It's Nasser, Uh, I'm sorry sir, is it Arabi or Arabai? Welcome to the show, how are you? Fine, and how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Um, Unfortunately, it sounds like we have a pretty bad connection. Um, uh, Try again one more time. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's passable. All right. Yeah. So listen. Um, well, bottom line first, I guess, um, since our uh, our connection is perhaps tenuous here. You say that Saudi's war in Yemen hasn't worked in accomplishing its goals. Is that correct? Yes, it didn't.
3: It didn't accomplish anything, and it would not accomplish even if it if it continued for years and years and years more.
0: Okay. Now, um, let me make a, a very um, uh, a poor comparison, sir, to Libya. In Libya, you had a very small force on the ground with backed by air power, and they were eventually, it took them nine or ten months, but eventually they were able to go ahead and sack Tripoli and drive Gaddafi out of power. So uh, could you clarify, what is it about this situation that means that no matter how long it goes on, it could never work. Uh, it
3: is it is completely different here in Yemen. Completely different.
0: Uh,
3: Saudi Arabia is supporting uh, the terrorism now by its war, and unfortunately, United States is uh, supporting uh, ISIS by supporting uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, 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 Saudi Arabia is based on Wahhabism. Uh, Wahhabism is the, is the heart and the mind and the sword of, of ISIS. And uh, this is the problem, this is the essential difference between what's happening in Yemen and what's happening in any other place. So, if, it's, if we want to talk about uh, supporting terrorism, yes, the war in Yemen is supporting terrorism is supporting ISIS, is supporting Qaeda. The Qaeda is the big winner of this war.
0: Hmm. Okay, let's go back to that in just one moment. But you say in your article, it's also helping the Houthis, who are the targets of the war.
3: Yes, uh, Houthi is the Yemenis now. Houthi is the Yemeni. All the Yemenis are Houthis. It is not as Saudi Arabia is is saying, that Houthi is Shiite. People or no, Houthi now is the national movement of Yemen. Every, every, uh, uh, the majority of Yemenis are Houthis. Uh, Houthi is the leader of the, of, uh, the, uh, of the Yemenis now because Houthi is now leading uh, the, the Yemenis who are confr- confronting the Saudi invaders. Saudis are invading Yemen, unfortunately, with support from the United States.
0: So, just to make sure I understand, you're saying that the Houthi movement may have started among the Zaidi Shiites or Zaidi Shiites, but has now spread to be the most popular political movement in the country due to the yes. fact that they're resisting the Saudis and the USA in this war.
3: Yes, yes, it is a national movement now. It is in the south, in the north, everywhere. Houthi is just a symbol. It is not uh, a matter of uh, Houthi as a sectarian or Shiite, no, no. It is now Yemeni. It is Yemeni uh, uh, confronting the invaders, the Saudi invaders. This I know now, You, do, uh, it is very difficult for the people outside Yemen to understand because Saudi is, is lying by saying it is trying just to retain the, the legitimate government. This is the biggest lie. Uh, that Saudi Arabia is using and misleading the world but we are, Yemenis now are trying to make the world understand that what Saudi is doing is something else it is not a matter of of, uh, uh, restoring a legitimate government as it is saying, no Uh,
0: so you're saying that not just they're failing, but they're not even really trying to reinstall Hadi now. They have a larger mission, which is, I think you're saying, backing al-Qaeda and or the Islamic State.
3: Yes, indirectly. Al-Qaeda is simply here in Yemen. It means uh, Wahhabism. Uh, Wahhabis. Uh, Wahhabis is the essential, is the backbone of Saudi regime. And this is the Qaeda and ISIS. So they are now, the, the people who are now, for example, who are supporting them, who are exiled there in Riyadh, are the leaders of the Wahhabism, of, of the Wahhabi uh, party, who, who are there, as, 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 as I told you, the heart and the mind and the sword of, of, of ISIS. That is the enemy of the world, of the United States and ev- everyone in the world.
0: Well. Uh, but are you conflating their sympathizers and their their fellow religionists and the civilian population among them with the actual group that is Al Qaeda or ISIS? Yes. Uh, what is
3: lead? Who are now who are supporting the people who are who are uh, fighting with Saudi Arabia now in the ground in Yemen? We know them by names as either Qaeda or ISIS leaders. And you can I can give you a, a names. I can give you a names. For example, now uh, the uh, Zandani is a global terrorist. Uh, uh, he is designated by U.S. and by U.N. as global as global terrorist by U.N. and U.S. And uh, uh, also another one that is the leader of the Salafi party, who is in Riyadh now. He is he is designated by U.S. Uh, uh, Treasury uh, Department as a global terrorists. And they are the leaders now and their, uh, people, uh, their followers here are supporting Saudi Arabia in the ground. So this is Qaeda and ISIS. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Now, um, what gains have they made? Uh, the uh, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula used to, as, as recently as just a year or two ago, was a uh, a fairly small group of people, maybe a few hundred people, right? Yes, let
3: me tell you yeah, just an example. Saudi Arabia now is telling the United States and the world that they, are, they have the, the majority of Yemenis and they, are, they have the, the majority of Yemen, uh, 85 percent, uh, they say 85 percent is under their control and uh, the majority of Yemenis are with them. If this is right... They with all these weapons and these uh, mis- missiles and the F F sixteen and everything, they would have done it in 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 weeks. They would have finished it in weeks. But they didn't do anything, anything, anything. Wow. So why they say that they have a eighty five percent or they have the, the, the majority of Yemenis? This is this is a lie, a big lie.
0: All right. Well. Um, I'm going to stall for time here a little bit, Nasser, because we have a bit of a bad connection and it's almost time for the break. So, um, I, I hope during the break, maybe we can, uh, hang up and reestablish our connection, uh, to continue the interview in the next segment. But everybody, I'm talking yeah. with, uh, oh, okay, you're most, anytime. sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, hang, hang tight with me right there. Don't hang up yet. Uh, Nasser, okay, I'll, be, okay, I'll okay. be right back with okay, you. Okay, I'm waiting. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, so we're talking with uh, Nasser Arabi. Or, I'm sorry, is it Arabi or Arabi? Yes, yes, yes you right. Arabi, yes. yes. Arabi, okay. Uh, Nasser Arabi, and he is a journalist from Yemen. I think you can tell from the connection. He's on the line uh, from uh, Sana, Yemen, right now. And um, he is founder and president of the media service company Yemen Alon. That's uh, Yemen now. And he has this piece in the Carnegie Endowment at the Carnegie Endowment website. Saudi Arabia's unholy war. We haven't really discussed it, but of course, uh, the United States is participating in all of this and, and backing and arming and directing Saudi's Air Force in the war for the last year now. We're going to find out a little bit more about that, and talk a little bit more with Nasser about the uh, horrible war in Yemen right after this break. This part of the Scott Horton Show is sponsored by Audible.com. And right now, if you go to audibletrial.com slash Scott Horton Show, you can get your first audio book for free. Of course, I'm recommending Michael Swanson's book, The War State, The Cold War Origins of the Military Industrial Complex and the Power Elite. Maybe you've already bought The War State in paperback, but you just can't find the time to read it. Well, now you can listen while you're out marching around. Get the free audio book of The War State by Michael Swanson, produced by Listen and Think Audio at audibletrial.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, welcome back to the show. It's The Scott Horton Show. I'm talking with Nasser Arabi, a journalist from Yemen, about America and Saudi uh, Saudi Arabia's uh, unholy war there, as he calls it in this article at the Carnegie Endowment site, carnegieendowment.org. And um, I hope we have a little bit better connection this time, but we're going to trudge through because this is such an important subject uh, you know, even if we have a little bit diminished uh, audio quality, I think it'll be okay um can you can you please describe for us Nassi, to your best uh ability the um the devastation as you describe it uh in your article to the civilian infrastructure the um the degree to which the civilian population has been affected by this war for the last year
3: well uh it's now one year since Saudi Arabia started its war, and I would confirm, I would assure you, that Saudi Arabia, backed by US administration, were committing war crimes every day, every day, killing people asleep in their in their houses. Whole families, hundreds of whole families were killed asleep in their houses. Now I'm talking to you from my house, my office in the same place. Uh, It was damaged three times, three times because they were uh, uh, using F-16 to bomb uh, 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 just a house of a military uh, general which everybody knows that it was empty, but they were just bombing the house, bombing the house and killing, every time they killing many people, many people. My house, as I told you, damaged three times, and it's a, a few meters from the from times. So uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, destroying and obliterating uh, Yemen t- 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 deliberately, because uh, Saudi Arabia wants to keep Yemen as a back garden. Of slaves forever. This is the big problem now between us and Saudi Arabia. We don't want to keep as slaves as a back garden. It's n- nothing, nothing more than this. And we don't want the uh, United States to, to uh, support and to keep supporting such war criminals. It's a big shame to the United States to do all these things. Uh, I mean, it's a big shame to, 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 uh, to sacrifice the sublime values of democracy, human rights and freedom for the oil money, Saudi oil money we are, uh, we are shocked because we're uh, uh, looking at the United States as a big, uh, as a good example of democracy, human rights and uh, freedom but now it's nothing because we we see, we, we, are, we, are, we are wondering why the United States is, is, is supporting Saudi Arabia. We then discover that it's for the oil, for the money. This is the big problem.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm actually uh, uh, at a loss. Uh, the only answer I know to that is, I mean, obviously the Saudis have their reasons. But the only reason that I know that America is going along with this like this is just to make Saudi feel better about the Iran nuclear deal, which in fact enhanced their security and does not threaten it. And Thank yet, you very
3: much for the, this is the other big lie. You know, they say that Saudi Arabia is saying, "No, oh, I am fighting Iran because Iran is in Yemen." This is a big lie. Saudi uh, Iran couldn't even bring, couldn't even help Yemen with water. Uh, uh, with uh, I mean Yemen is located one year now and Iran couldn't help us with water l- l- let alone weapons or anything else no iran is not here and it, uh, iran would not be here even after 100 years even if it tries because Saudi Arabia is richer and closer, and the influence of Saudi Arabia is 70% in the, in the political and the economic and in everything. Nobody can, can be uh, bigger than Saudi Arabia, but Saudi Arabia wants more, the thing I told you, they want to keep Saudi, Yemenis as slaves. But unfortunately, the, the price for this would, uh, would be also turning Yemen to uh, ISIS and Qaeda, which will be uh, the enemy of everyone. Uh, United States and uh, Saudi Arabia and everyone. This is the problem that the world should understand. And we are, we have also, we have enough patience to uh, make the world understand. And now uh, the world has started to understand what we say. And we will also keep struggling until the world understands that the United States is is, is supporting the heart and the mind and the sword of ISIS by supporting the Saudi regime.
0: Um, alright. Well, now, let me ask you about, um, the death toll. The United Nations, uh, I believe says that the number killed is, uh, approximately 5,000 or 6,000, uh, which, I hate to say it, don't get me wrong, but sounds surprisingly low to me after it's a year of this war. What do you, what do you it's, say about that? It's
3: very funny. I know people by names. I know, be, I know people by names who were killed. More than 6,000, just by names, the people I know them by names. So uh, now we are talking about 50,000 of civilians who were killed here in India by Not 60,000, but you know the uh, uh, United Nations, is, you know the bureaucracy and the report of the United Nations, they say 6,000, uh, 6, okay, 6,000. They, they say now 30, they say 30, killed and injured, 30,000. But, uh, but it is not 30,000, it's 50,000 civilians, I'm talking about civilians, because Saudi Arabia can't fight, the, 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 the army of Saudi Arabia can't fight at all, they, they escape in the, in the borders, in the uh, yes, uh, Yemeni army now is taking uh, towns and uh, villages and uh, cities in the south of Saudi Arabia, and they can't fight at all, they just flee and escape every day. Unfortunately, they, they just uh, uh, keep waiting for the, for the Abati and the F-16 to, to bomb. And they, do, they don't do anything. But the, 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 they come uh, to kill people here in Sana'a and every city, while they're asleep. Unfortunately, this is the pro- it's the most deadly war war in the world. And the people will understand and will know what we what we say. Now, if, if there are uh, people who want to understand what is happening in Yemen. And unfortunately, uh, with the support of the United States and Obama administration.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, uh, for the audience, it's not just our guest. All of the Western human rights organizations and NGOs say that the Yemen crisis is the worst humanitarian crisis on the face of the earth. We talked with the representative from Oxfam here on the show. And as you say in your article here, uh, Nasser, 27 million people are in dire need of food, water, uh, and medical assistance here. And and yeah. now, let me ask you this, because uh, there were reports of some peace talks, and they had gone terribly in the past, but is there any hope for the new negotiations? Yes, no,
3: sorry. We, we keep saying that, we are fighting with Saudi Arabia invaders, Saudi Arabia is invading us, Yemenis were saying that now Saudi Arabia understood, now Saudi Arabia is negotiating directly with the Yemenis, with the Houthi and its allies, Houthi and his his allies are the Yemenis, all the Yemenis, all Yemeni. Now they are talking to them. I think they will reach to. Uh, they will. They will find a solution because they, they must find a solution. Yes, but by 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 recognizing uh, the Yemenis uh, that Saudi Arabia is called Houthis or Shiat, or something like. That. No, Yemenis. I am secular. I am not Shiat, I am not Sunni. I am secular. Everybody in Yemen knows that Nasser Rabi'i is a secular. But. I am Yemeni. I'm supporting Houthi and everyone because we, Saudi Arabia is, is 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 invading us. is mm. invading us dirty uh, with a dirty war. Uh,
0: and so, well, and just for the record, I guess your critics might say, well, you must be a Houthi and a Zaidi Shia all along, and and that's your problem. Sorry. Your critics might say that, well, you've been a Houthi all along and you're from their, their uh, uh, Zaidi or Zaidi sect. Is that correct? No,
3: I, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm a secular. Yeah. I'm a secular. I'm not Shiite. I'm not Sunni. I'm a secular. And this is something known all over Yemen. I'm publicly saying I'm secular. Right.
0: No, but it's important. I'm it's important to clarify. I'm supporting Houthi with my mind and my heart. I understand. It's it's important to clarify just because you know how people make the assumption that if you denounce one yes. faction you must be supporting the so-called opposite in whichever case and and yes, uh yes. and especially, you know, uh, presumed uh, silent motivations and that kind of thing. So it's very important yes. to address there. Listen, I really appreciate your article. And I really appreciate your time on the show. I, I hope you live through this thing. I mean that very seriously. I hope everything works out. We're doing our best to shame our government on this side of the equation, but it doesn't work very well. But... Um we're thinking about I, you uh, anyway.
3: You're most welcome any time, and I would be uh, uh, highly grateful if you could uh, send me a link, if there is a link in your website.
0: Uh, I absolutely will. It'll post uh, probably tomorrow or the next day. Thanks very much again, Nasser. So
3: a- Thank you very much. Y'all. Bye-bye.
0: All right, y'all. That is Nasser Arabi. Uh, read his piece at the Carnegie Endowment. Um, it's uh, Saudi Arabia's unholy war. We're over time. Got to go. Thanks, y'all. See you tomorrow.